This is Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. I'm Scott Bertram, and with me is State Representative Andrew Fink from the 58th District. That's Branch and Hillsdale Counties. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Scott. We talked last time after the governor's State of the State address about uh, various tax cut proposals and some of the targeted tax cuts that the governor was trying to look at for uh, incentives for electric vehicles or certain pension, uh, certain types of pension income. And we mentioned that there was a, a more broad-based plan that might be coming out of the Senate or the House. That plan's now moved forward in the House, where a plan has been advanced through the Appropriations Committee, the Tax Policy and House Appropriations Committee, uh, that would be a more broad-based income tax reduction plan. And so, so there's some other things in here, too. Uh, tell us what this House plan would do, uh, and is it different than what the Senate, at least thus far, has been proposing? Well, it is not different in the things that it has in common. It just doesn't have everything in common with the Senate plan. So, the but the main the main thing that is common to to both plans is a reduction in the individual income tax rate from four and a quarter to three point nine percent. The I think important thing to understand about that is that although the House plan does not include a corporate income tax cut the way the Senate plan does, many small corporations and especially LLCs are taxed as individuals. Essentially, those are flow-through entities so that if you own a little restaurant, um, even a professional business like a uh, uh, accounting firm or a law firm uh, or lots of other kinds of small businesses, you're going to be taxed essentially as an individual, the the entity that you work for uh, or or have organized if you're a you know if you're a little business with an LLC isn't a taxed entity it, it's, it flows mm-hmm. through to you so the, the, that income is uh, is going to be taxed at the individual rate anyway so reducing that individual rate will have a positive impact especially on our small businesses which have had a rough couple of years and there is also a provision in uh, what is House Bill fifty eight thirty eight two. Uh, provide additional relief for for seniors too. Is this more broad based than what the governor is discussing? Yeah, it is. Uh, it it accounts for more than just the. Uh, uh, you know, we we talked last time about how how this concept is referred to as the pension tax, but um, that's not exactly the most helpful way to describe it. But in any event, yes, the House plan affects more forms of retirement income than Governor Whitmer's proposal would. And I think that's important to just recognize that the the form of retirement income shouldn't really determine whether or not it's taxed. And a separate bill, 5054, uh, discussed around the same time, provides some funding, one-time funding, not ongoing funding, to reduce the debt, improve the finances of public employee retirement systems. What, what would that do? Uh, the big the big point there is that lots of our um, political subdivisions in our state, so I think this applies to counties, municipalities, road commissions, maybe a couple other forms of entities, um, have unfunded liabilities in some of their pension plans. Uh, those things are in the long term mostly, I think, addressed because the, the plans that a new hire uh, enters into is different, but we still have this problem of you know the, the massive number of baby boomer retirements you know, sort of in the middle of that right now. Uh, maybe even towards the second half of it. And so there's there are major unfunded liabilities in some of these pension plans. This would be a way to help address that, which ideally would stave off you know some potential crises at the local level, uh, p- potentially even uh, bankruptcies in some cases. So that's the that's the main point there is just kind of we've got this uh, money appropriated from the federal government that might be able to to remedy that situation, prevent a worse problem in the future. The House is going to, well, the House is now considering, full House is now considering both of those bills. The Senate also looking at more broad-based income tax reductions for the state. It's something the governor has 
uh, essentially ruled out, and of course there needs to be some agreement among the three, uh, what do you think the chances are that, that Michigan taxpayers across the state see some kind of, of, of income tax relief at the end of the day? Uh, as I always tell you, Scott, I don't really hear from the governor, so I don't know exactly what her thoughts on it are. I, I understand that Republic Stevens might suggest she doesn't want to do this at the same time. And in her state of the state, she did say, let's talk about tax cuts while we're talking about them. Um, I don't I can't imagine that she. OK, yes, I can. I will just say, like when when Governor Whitmer refers to things as bipartisan, she means that the legislature does the work she wants it to do. That's mm-hmm. not how it works. If you want to have a conversation in a in an era of divided divided government, you're going to have to hear from both sides here. And this is us talking about tax relief that we think actually makes more sense. So whether or not she signs it, you know, I, I obviously don't know and she's not going to tell me, but uh, I, I do think that this is more meaningful tax relief. It's, it's more along the lines of what I said we need to do, which is, you know, try to look out for all Michiganians, especially those who are kind of working under the backbone of our economy. Um, the small business owners, the, the, uh, folks who, for whom a few hundred dollars in income tax reduction might mean, you know, some additional investment in their business. It might mean uh, some tangible benefit to the kids that they're raising. So I, I, this is this is more in line with I think the concept that she says she wants, which is to again to kind of talk about tax cuts that that benefit working Michiganians. So I'm hoping that she'll uh, she'll have an open mind here. But uh, again, uh, I, I guess I'll be waiting with you to see what ha- <laughs> actually happens. I wanted to ask one other question about the governor's state of the state, some of her proposals, and this uh, began to trickle out after the last time we talked, uh, hi- highlighted by both Mackinac and Ingrid Jackson for in the Detroit News wrote a column about this, how the governor's proposals uh, for schools uh, take out the ability for char- public charter schools to benefit, where the retention bonuses she wants to hand out to teachers Charter teachers are not eligible for that. Some of the money she wants to put back into like facility improvements for schools across the state, charters are also cut out of that. This is in addition to a few years ago, she used the veto pen to eliminate funding increases that were given to all public schools across the state, except for public charter schools. This is not treating students equally across the state. Yeah, what's amazing about that, so to be honest, Scott, this is not something that I've I've seen a lot about to this point. You may know more about it than I do right now, but I would say in terms of, you know, students across the state, there's I don't know how many, um, at least three or four charter schools in my district here. But uh, according to Thomas Sowell's 2019 book, which I think is called Charter Schools and Their Enemies, half the students in the city of Detroit are in charter schools. So it's not it's not a uh, geographically or politically isolated population in mm-hmm. our state that that takes advantage of charter schools. Um, my kids used to be in a charter school. Lots of people have had at least some experience in ch- with charter schools. Uh, and the nice thing about charter schools is, uh, it, it's, well, I mean, it's voluntary to be in there. I mean, you don't live in a charter school district the way you do in a public school district. You don't have to kind of deal with, you know, is this my school or not, uh, with a charter. So lots of folks have chosen to, to participate in that system and ver- been very happy with it. I do think it's important to understand that as a, we call them charter schools, they are chartered usually by a university or, or sometimes by a local school district. But I think the most the, the technical term that the state st- state law uses is public school academies. I mean, these are public schools. So as a general rule, except in the ways in which kind of the, the difference is essential, you know, between a, a, a conventional or traditional public school and a charter, I would want to see them treated the same. 
State Representative Andrew Fink with us here on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. Uh, a bill that is uh, uh, soon to see a discussion in a state Senate committee is a so-called red flag bill dealing with Second Amendment rights. Describe for people a little bit about wh- what this red flag bill would do, what the concept is, and, and, and then why is it being discussed in, in, in the state Senate right now? Well, the, the concept of a red flag bill or red, fl- red, red flag law is uh, is that if if you think a person that you know or whatever is uh, is likely to be a danger, uh, I think especially to others, maybe also to himself or herself, um, then there would be a specialized process by which the person's firearms could be taken or or isolated from the person. Um, and I, I really don't know exactly why there's going to be a Senate hearing on this bill. I, I will say it's introduced not by a member of the majority party. I don't expect that the um, that the Senate will actually act on the bill. Uh, so, ha- I mean, having a hearing is obviously preliminary to action, but doesn't imply action uh, by the by even the committee that it's in. They, they they may never, and I guess that's sort of my expectation is that they will not likely even vote on it. And if they do, I doubt that they'll vote to move the the bill forward. Uh, but the 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 idea that I kind of have a, a problem with is that it, it treats well. There's a couple things about it. The first is in general with with the kind of firearms restrictions that uh, the left typically pushes. Is it it as Clarence Thomas said? It sort of makes the Second Amendment or firearms rights more generally a disfavored right. And my attitude towards that is if we've taken the trouble to write it down in the state constitution and the federal constitution that individuals have this right, mm-hmm. uh, then we should treat it the same as we treat other civil rights, which is as uh, it takes a very, uh, very high bar to even kind of talk about restricting other forms of, I mean, like the, the you know, the law and the First Amendment, very complex, but, but always biased towards speech uh, or religion or whatever it is. Uh, or at least when when we're doing it well, that's that's the way we kind of do that that set of law. And so I would do this similarly. Uh, there are already processes by which a person's danger to himself or the community can be brought before a court. But I think what's important about that is that the danger is seen to be the person, hmm. uh, and and that's that would still be true in the context of what I guess what the proponents of red flag laws have in mind. Uh, but for some reason, they they sort of focus on the instrument instead of uh, the actor, and I would I would rather I mean both in terms of prevention uh, and correction and whatever else in all these cases like the way in which people are dangerous with firearms uh, has to do with with the health of the person has to do with the skills of the person all that kind of stuff, uh, but the I think focusing on the instrument is kind of a sad departure from focusing on like the actual challenges that we have of public safety, uh, you know, extreme gun violence in some American cities, including some in Michigan, uh, and mental health, which creates public safety risks of uh, usually of kind of a different character, uh, but basically are always present. Uh, and, and so that's, I think, the, the kind of the short-sightedness is, is in two directions. One is it sort of undermines our constitutional uh, arrangement to protect firearms ownership because mm-hmm. that connects to citizenship in a in a way that is worth preserving. But secondly, uh, to focus on on the the ill people, the dangerous people, um, rather than simply one instrument of of their danger. I I really think that that's kind of a sad myop, myopic view of of dealing with what are obviously real problems. I mean, when somebody 
uh, either is mentally ill or is otherwise dangerous and commits violence, like that's a real problem. That's that's one of the problems that the state is formed to address. Uh, but but doing it kind of wisely and, and in a considered way rather than in an emotional way, I think is critical. Something else happening a little behind the scenes is uh, actions by uh, JCAR, which is what Joint uh, Committee on Administrative Rules, uh, looking at ending uh, online absentee ballot applications. What's happening there? So I think this is part of a suite of rules, and I'm not on that committee, and I haven't looked at it, their agendas, but I, but I think, as I understand it, it's part of a, of a collection of rules that the Secretary of State, as an administrative agency, has, um, has proposed uh, it's, I think, part of the the Secretary of State having to sort of clean up uh, some of the actions that she took in 2020, which were not supported by rules, or but but essentially had the effect of of rulemaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, having not gone through the normal notice and comment and JCAR kind of process. Um, some of those things, the the online absentee ballots, actually one I didn't remember whether there's been litigation about it or not, but similar kind of uh, difficulty with just sort of creating a new practice, um, which, uh, you know, then obligated local governments and things to kind of act within that new system. The one that I know was challenged in court was the direction to local officials to presume signatures are valid. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was you know, you you could make a rule like that, perhaps. Uh, I guess that's one of the things we're going to find out in this process. But uh, but certainly you can't do it without making it a rule. In other words, just sort of throwing that direction out there without uh, without going through the normal rulemaking process was declared by a court to exceed the Secretary of State's responsibility, and I think that was obviously right. State Representative Andrew Fink with us, 58th District Branch in Hillsdale Counties here on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. Been talking a lot about the Independent Redistricting Committee in recent months here during our conversations. Their, their work appears to be done. There's some court cases rolling through, of course, but in terms of drawing the maps and figuring out what the districts will look like, that seems to be done, but they are still working in a way, uh, voting themselves pay raises uh, for each member on the committee. Uh, and, and reminder, these are uh, non-elected, and so the voters can't really do much about this. Is this one of those uh, problems with having an independent board that is not accountable to voters, that the voters have no remedy if they don't like the fact that they just voted themselves a big pay raise? Yeah, I mean, the voters' remedy is to undo what they did in 2018. I mean, it would have to be a new uh, voter initiative, or or uh, uh, we could do a constitutional amendment another way but but yeah that would be the 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 remedy is is a a lot of coordination a lot of work Uh, yeah i don't know if it uh i mean i suppose you you might say yes that that if they were responsible to the voters to to maintain their positions they might be more hesitant uh to vote themselves a pay raise um i guess if i were in that situation i would i would strive to not let that color my decision on it but uh, but yes, I suppose human psychology being what it is, <laughs> it's likely that it would at least be on their minds. Uh, the, the the arrangement we have now, I guess, for anybody who doesn't realize this, is that to be on the redistricting commission, you have to volunteer, got to qualify in a little bit of a of a uh, I mean, it's a little bit of a complicated way in which you can be qualified. Um, you declare yourself to be either one party or the other or neither party, and then the secretary of state like pulls out a ping pong ball with your name on it. It's a it's a computer program, but that's essentially what it is. Is it's I don't remember who they hired, probably like Price Waterhouse or somebody to run a randomizer, 
of all these names and then they pulled out the, the names and that's your redistricting commission. So uh, it's it's definitely not a normal or it's not a, a kind of uh, public body that we're really used to at this point. So everything they do is breaking new ground and this is just one more thing. And uh, finally, I wanted to mention there, there's a story again in the Detroit News this week about the uh, nuclear power plant, Palisades power plant shutting down uh, soon. And I believe that's one of three current nuclear power plants in the state. There'll be two remaining after it shuts down in the in the coming months. Uh, this one's over on the west coast, uh, Lake Michigan, Covert Township. Uh, how does how does nuclear sort of work into Michigan's power grid? Is it a good idea to be shutting down nuclear plants when many advocates are saying we need to be carbon free in the future? This is one way to do so. Additionally, we look at what's happening. I don't want to get into the details, of course, but what's happening in Europe right now, uh, Germany even, who, who had moved to shut down nuclear power plants in recent months and years, is now saying, well, maybe we should start those things back up, uh, considering recent world events. What's it look like here in Michigan? Well, so three plants I don't think is either very many or uh, or extremely few. I mean, I don't remember the number of plants in Germany, but I think it was like uh, only a dozen or something that they were looking at. So that, and that's a country of whatever it is, 80 million people or something. Um, so having three in a state of 10 million people might might be relatively normal on the worldwide scale. I'm not sure, but I do think in the, in the United States there's been uh, probably more resistance to uh, to nuclear energy than there has. Well, we, we know than, than in some other countries. I mean, France is the one that everybody talks about. This is not an area where I consider myself anything like an expert, but I would say that uh, I, I've tried to kind of get behind the noise a little bit. I mean, the, 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 the opposition to nuclear, I think, tends to be um, sort of a, a, ris- a, a form of risk aversion that seems excessive to me. Uh, again, not having not not having anything like a, a, a full grasp of the issue in the in the time I've spent looking at it, that seems to be true that the that the opponents are uh, are operating at a, at a level of risk aversion that probably makes us uh, poorer and to the extent carbon emissions are bad for the environment, also dirtier. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are other ways in which energy is being cleaned up. I mean, it's cleaner to burn natural gas than it is to burn coal, and we're better at burning coal than we were 140 years ago or whenever the Industrial Revolution was really humming. So um, we're already making strides with conventional or more conventional sources of, of energy in, in reducing emissions. Again, to, to the extent that that's valuable, we're doing it even within those conventional fuels. But it does seem to, I mean, it does seem obvious to me that we should want nuclear power to be part of the solution. We should want to, to have a way to make it safe, um, which, I mean, it, it by and large is. I mean, the the, the number of problems that, that have had, I mean, yes, it's really bad when you have a, what was the, the place in Japan 15 years ago? Yukushima, is that what it's yes, called? So. Fu- Fukushima. 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 Yeah. Uh, uh, that's bad, obviously, but like, you know, life has gone on. They've got it. I think more or less under control. I don't actually know whether there's any uh, lasting impact, but the fact that I don't know about it probably means that it's not that big of a problem. It's not a Chernobyl level incident, which, uh, you know, was kind of like, we don't trust the communists to do other things besides nuclear energy either. So I don't think we can, we can stay away from it just because of Chernobyl. But overall, I think, again, we should want it to be part of the solution. I, I, I do know that we're getting better at making it smaller. I mean, there's now, I had a conversation with someone who knows more about it than I do a few months ago talking about how uh, we can now sort of build a second nuclear 
uh, reactor on the same pieces of property that we have them now that need to be retired because I mean that is that's part of what happens is sort of the, the the safety of the plant does diminish over you know towards the end of its life and so uh, what do you do with that space or whatever well being able to use the same you know 40 acres or whatever to to build the, the second one uh, as I understand it, it's it's re- relatively new and that's that would be good I mean it would make it more efficient it would make it less of a, of a problem to kind of keep this energy on the on the grid so mm-hmm. my overall attitude towards it is that i would like to see more of it um i'm i i know it's an area where where i need to learn more but everything i've learned about it to this point makes me think we we want to have more of it and as that technology improves uh and the space needed and everything is reduced i think that we we should see more of it because that that will be more efficient and it will be better for all of us State Representative Andrew Fink from the 58th District, that's Branch and Hillsdale Counties. If people need to get a hold of you or the office, what's the best way to do so? Go to repfink.com. Repfink.com. State Representative Andrew Fink, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Scott. More of our interviews and conversations on our SoundCloud page. Go to soundcloud.com. Search for WRFH Radio Free Hillsdale. And I'm Scott Bertram on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM.